What's going on, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution. But until we reach that day, I am your host, Josh, and as I said, this is in defense of liberation. Um, Today is going to be a bonus episode. I am going to give myself uh, leeway to rant, basically. Um, Although a lot of my uh, discussions that I have on the show oftentimes can turn into rants, the reason why I'm saying this is a bonus episode specifically for rants is because I don't quite honestly have a specific topic that I want to talk about. I have a few very brief things that I want to hit on um, that don't really connect. So we're going to throw it into a bonus episode, which I should say I don't have a Patreon or anything like that. So it's a bonus episode as in it's a little different than every other episode. But Uh, If this is your first time stopping by, just know that this is not necessarily how every episode goes. So if this is not to your liking, please go ahead and check out some of my other posts where I rant approximately one to two minutes less than I will in this post. Um, And uh, if this is you coming back, enjoying the show, and you wanted to listen to some more, I hope you also like this content, and I hope it isn't too incredibly... um, ranty. I mean, yeah. Anyways, so like I said, there's a few different things that are kind of bouncing around in my head that I want to kind of discuss out loud to be able to try to form my understanding of them and to try to bring that to you folks to try to, you know, provoke some questions in your own mind. So this is not an episode where I'm coming on trying to explain something. Um, And I should say, I usually like to make an effort to say before every episode, I am not an expert on these things. I am a 22-year-old working-class person who happens to be a Marxist, who happens to believe in revolutionary communism, and who tends to believe that the only way that this can be done is through the revolutionary organization of the working and oppressed people of the world uh, fighting towards socialism. So, a few different things that have been really on my mind is, first and foremost, my continuous need to not only, you know, simply educate myself on Marxism, on Marxist theory, but especially I have been thinking a lot about how incredibly difficult it is to erase and kind of remove all of the previously indoctrinated ideology, which I myself and most folks have to endure. Now, of course, we can say most folks in the West because oftentimes we get kind of the most extreme exceptionalism. We kind of get 
the most extreme um, forms of ruling class ideological indoctrination. But we should know that all across the world, the ruling classes of even the global south, whether they be puppet regimes of the United States or whether they be uh, national bourgeoisie, um, whether they be a uh, military junta of sorts, um, many, many different forms of uh, ruling class ideology is directly attempted to be supplanted into the minds of those in that given country. Growing up as a white evangelical conservative in the middle of central New York, there is a lot of indoctrination, which for a majority of my life, I did not question. Now, I can certainly say that it's not like I was ever an advocate for those ideas. I just remained incredibly ignorant and incredibly, um, shit, there's a lot of words that I could say for what I was. I was ignorant, I was chauvinistic, and I was an asshole. But I didn't go around saying it to everyone. Um, I grew up in a very racist um, environment, and it is the racist environment of Christians, which is, you know, for example, it, 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 it can take different forms. Like, my dad loves to say the N-word. Cool. Go fuck yourself, dad. But my mom, right, my mom wouldn't say a bad thing about a black person or a brown person to their face or to someone that, that she felt would judge her for it. But she loves, just like other people in my family, to make jokes. She loves to make sly comments. And she loves to do things that are incredibly racist, even though they're not explicitly so. Like, pull her purse onto the other side of her person when a black person walks by her. Like, stepping over to the side in an elevator when a houseless person or someone who looks to her, quote, dirty. My sister and my, I mean, my brother told me when I was like 12 years old that I should stop playing basket, basketball because only N-words play basketball. Like, this is the family that I came from. But they also tried to masquerade over it with Christianity. They tried to pretend that they were great people like many Christians do by simply believing in God. And that, of course, to them, whether they say it out loud or not, clearly means that all their other backwards-ass ideas and incredibly ignorant rhetoric has no consequence. And it, 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 auto, it automatically should be, you know, struck from the record because they're Christians and they believe in God. And the blood of Jesus heals all, right? Washes us white as snow. Which, Jesus Christ, it's right there, folks. How the fuck do we not understand that 
evangelicism and Christianity within the United States and within colonial history is directly connected to white supremacy. Why do we, even as Marxists and Leninists, want to deny that shit? Why do we want to advocate for these religions which have been used as tools of oppression for generations? Why do we want to, you know, tiptoe around the fact that Christianity is an oppressive regime, especially the form that it has taken since colonialism. And that, obviously, okay, my grandma would be harping in right now and saying, well, Josh, not all Christians are bad, you know. Some Christians make mistakes, but just being Christian doesn't make you right. It's like, they always have an excuse. They always have a loophole. It always works out in their favor. But anyways, of course I am not coming at you if you're Christian. If you're a Christian, fucking good for you. I don't really care, honestly. Um, If your, you know, uh, beliefs do not impede on the livelihood or safety of another, I couldn't care less about them. Keep them to yourself, right? Honestly. Um... I'm not saying you don't get to practice it out in the open. Just don't come to me and talk about it. Because I don't fucking care. Um, That sounds rude. But you know what? Someone who grew up in a household where the only thing we could talk about was Jesus. I don't want to hear about Jesus anymore. I don't give a shit. Um, I've also probably heard whatever you have to say. But anyways, we're moving on from this point. So, um, yeah. The ideological indoctrination that I have suffered um, both because of my Christian and conservative background and also because of the very education system which many of us in the United States had to uh, endure to some extent um, all of this played and still plays and this is kind of where I want to talk about it a huge role in my understanding of the world around me, in my understanding of myself, right? My relationships, my thoughts and ideas and emotions and feelings and traumas, etc. All of that is to some extent shaped by the indoctrination which I have had to suffer. Not by my own choosing, but by the decision of a ruling class, right? And this is what I want to talk about. So there's two things that I really want to connect here. And we'll hit on them, we'll hit on them each briefly, and then we'll go into a little discussion. So first and foremost... There's no such thing as neutrality. There is no such thing as individual ideology separate from the ideology of society. You either have an ideology which supports the ruling class and is towards the benefit of the ruling class, or you have an ideology which supports the antithesis of that ruling class, which is the working class, and actually works towards the detriment of the ruling class. Those are the only two things you can believe in. You can either believe in 
or not believe in the shit that you're told. There's no middle, right? The second point I want to make is that ideology is shaped first and foremost, and I should say here, not ideology, but ideas, because that is separate. Ideas are shaped first and foremost by our material conditions, the environment that we live in, not by our minds. So let's talk about this. Ideas, right, are not spontaneous manifestations of genius which have come solely from our own consciousness. Because as Marx says, social being determines social consciousness. And social being is both our place in society and our relation to other classes within society. Our social being as proletarians is just that, as working class and oppressed peoples. Whereas our social being as determined by our relations to other classes is again that of the oppressed class. Our uh, our lives are made subordinate to the ruling class. And our labor force is dedicated towards the profit and benefit of that ruling class. That ruling class, right, is only able to manifest in our minds a given ideology that supports them if first and foremost they are able to come to power. So the second point that I made saying that ideas do not just stem from genius. We understand this, right? But we got to dig deeper. We have to dig deeper. (laughs) Dibber. We have to dig deeper because saying that ideology is dominated by the ruling class presupposes the idea of a ruling class. It presupposes a ruling class which has power to shape the ideology of the oppressed class. How the fuck does it do that? Because listen, we as Marxists know that simply having correct ideas does not change or manipulate the ideology of society. We can talk and talk and talk and talk and talk to as many people as we want, and that is not necessarily going to change their minds. And it's certainly not going to change the overall ideological um, kind of system that is supported by the masses. It surely isn't going to overthrow capitalism. So let's talk about the presupposition of ruling class and what that means. So what is a ruling class? Well, in class society, which we know as a historical epoch or 
a historical development of a society wherein there is a direct distinction between those who have and those who have not. This is the easiest way to understand class society. It is the separation into class antagonisms, wherein one group, one class in society is dominant over the other and suppresses the other class by its continued domination and oppression as well as exploitation of the oppressed class. So how do they do that? Well, of course, we know throughout history it has often been done through military rule. It has been done through uh, wars and other sorts of uh, domination of force which have been able to suppress the majority of that society. You have in early Greek and Roman societies, you have slave societies. Now, of course, we know the dominant class is the slave owners. The oppressed class is everyone else, but most importantly, the slaves. So how does this ruling class remain in power? Well, they have an economic and social system that literally enslaves people. And that enslavement makes it impossible for those people to move upward in the social strata. They are incapable of producing commodities for themselves, such as food. They have no political rights whatsoever, and therefore they are dominated and their labor force exploited. They are incapable of developing power, of developing a place in society which allows them to change that reality. Now, of course, those slave owners in that slave society are not going to teach the slaves, hey, listen, we live in a slave society, you're the slaves, you're the oppressed people, you're the workers, we're the owners, we're the slave owners, we are the oppressing power, and we're exploiting the shit out of you, we make it so you can't have political power, we enslave you, we work you to death, and we steal everything that you labor for, all the fruits of your labor, because by doing so, it makes so makes it so that you cannot develop into a power uh, or force capable of overthrowing our rule because that would lead the slaves towards organizing and developing a force which is capable of overthrowing their rule. So now this pre-existing ruling class which has come to to power through many different avenues given the historical period that we're talking about is then able to shape the ideology of the entire oppressed class because it has domination and control over not only that class, but society in general. The same goes for 
feudalism, when the divine right of kings was the mainstay of political understanding. The serfs and the peasants, the subjects, all of those within the oppressed class were convinced to some extent that their rulers were in control because they were ordained as rulers. They were the explicit and exclusive people who should and could rule over society. Again, they're not going to say, hey guys, listen, so we're kings, right? And we're landlords and we own all this land. We own all of the property on it. We own the farmland. We own the tools that you farm with. We own the stock buildings where you take the products of your labor to. We own the market. We own everything. And you are just a plebeian. You are just a peasant serf. And your sole existence depends on my exploitation of your labor. Because the only way you eat is when you come work my land and I decide to give you some of the fruits of your labor. Again, eventually these serfs are going to be like, hey, wait a minute. I think he might be telling the truth. Maybe we should do something about that. So what do they tell them? Oh, God chose me. And if you go against me, you're not only going against the kingdom, you're going against God. And therefore, you're going to go to hell. Hmm. Christianity has certainly never been used as a tool of oppression. Right, Grandma? And that much is true today. What do we have today? We have a rule of capital and a rule of the capitalists. Those who own capital. The rest of us work. We work oftentimes for a wage or a salary. And that wage or salary goes towards buying things like housing, food, clothing, health care, transportation. It goes towards things like education. Because if you can't pay school taxes, if you can't enlist your kid in a public school, if you can't buy clothes and feed your kid in order to send them to school, then it's very difficult to find education. And of course, today we have a public school system, which because of incredible amounts of working class struggle is now a a, a presupposed thing for a large amount of children and youth in the United States, I won't even say for a majority, whereas, say, a hundred years ago, you had three-year-olds working in coal mines. You had five-year-olds losing arms and limbs working in a, a mill. They didn't go to school. So, although the rule of capital has taken a different form, the same foundation to our society exists. The presupposed ruling class, the oppressors, dominate and rule over us, the oppressed. And therefore, 
through not only manipulation of our education, but also manipulation and ownership of the media, manipulation and control and domination of the mode of production, of our legal system, of our government, of our economy, of our military, of our police, all of that is controlled by what we might call today the bourgeois state, the bourgeoisie. So, I mean, the attempt to combat that ideology, that shit's been hard. And a lot of the problems which we see on the left, including the issues which I still am struggling through. Remember, I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone. I'm saying this is important and we all got to keep working on it. Individualism, racism, sexism, transphobia, homophobia, chauvinism, right? Ethnocentrism. These are all big words to say that white working class Americans don't normally, unless they have taken extreme efforts to develop a consciousness, they don't normally give a shit about anyone other than white working class people. Even leftists, right? How many histories are there, especially in the United States, of white working class unions, uh, I mean, go read Jay Sakai's Settlers, right? The working class struggles in the United States quite certainly surrounded and sent, uh, centered themselves on white working class struggles. We can't do that shit anymore. Marxism and scientific socialism is about eradicating oppression and ending class antagonisms. That means eliminating everything which leads to and perpetuates the inequality between classes. That's scientific socialism. That is a process, right, which starts with the violent overthrow of the existing ruling class structure, the domination of capital, and the oppression of the working class and develops itself into a new state, a new dictatorship, rather than having the very, very, very minute few rule over the many. You know, we often say the 1% over the 99. I'd argue that it's like 0.325% over the 99.675%, right? Turning that on its head and creating a society where the majority of people within the society not only have a direct say in the matters of society, social services, political and government decisions, they have direct influence over them because they themselves are directly participating in the administration of that state. The dictatorship of the proletariat is a 
reformation of a existing thing, which we call the state, which is defined as simply a tool of suppression of one class by another. The state has taken many forms throughout the world, throughout history. We, as the proletariat, as the revolutionary working and oppressed people, will reinstate a uh, state apparatus which serves and exists for and is administrated by the proletariat, by the working and oppressed people themselves. Um, real funny example I think I've even made on this podcast before. During the Bolshevik Revolution, uh, it's written about in 10 Days That Shook the World by John Reed. Check that book out. Great first-person resources about the early days of the revolution in Russia, 1917, right as the October Revolution took place. John Reed was there, and he was talking to all the different parties who were taking place. He was talking to the provisional government. He was talking to the Committee for Safety. He was talking to the uh, to uh, um, all the former military powers of the bourgeoisie. And he was going and talking to the Soviets. He was going and talking to the workers. He was going and talking to the Red Army, right? And there's an example where after the revolution takes place, and he describes it in much more funny language, but he basically says, there, you know, I, I noticed a guy sitting down, like, freaking the fuck out, just, like, biting the shit out of his, like, pencil, I think he said, and, like, jet, like shaking and, like, pale-faced. And he said this was to be the new minister of finance whose only experience that gave them that job was having worked briefly as a uh, clerk at a French bank. I think he actually explicitly said for a month. So when we're talking about the dictatorship of the proletariat, we're talking about putting regular working and oppressed people into positions of government, into administrative roles, so that they have direct control over the political economy and the social development of our society. It can't be up to the oppressors. It can't be up to the people who live solely for profit and for power. Because look what they'll do to us. They'll convince us of just about anything they want. They'll convince us that the fact that the United States has been at war or, quote, in a conflict for 226 of its 245 years of existence, they'll convince us that this was because we were fighting for democracy, while we ourselves here in the Imperial Core do not even know a goddamn thing about this supposed democracy. They'll convince us that capitalism is the natural mode of production because it is what we have made our way to, completely ignoring the fact that things don't just happen for a reason. There is always a dominating force within society which is dictating how things go. And if we allow that to continue to be the ruling class and the oppressors, we will not be able to fix the problems of hunger, of poverty, of houselessness, 
of suicide and drug addiction, of crime. We will not be able to solve or even alleviate the struggles and sufferings which the majority of people in the world have to endure. There's 7.6 billion people on this planet right now and less, less than 100,000 of them are what we might classify as ruling class powers. Because in this sense, we must remember that what it is to be ruling class is to be, ha- to be able to have an owning stake in the means of production. And by being able to employ those means of production, that is the resources, the factories, the tools, the equipment, the knowledge, and the labor force, the very people, you and me, being able to employ that towards means which benefit only the ruling class, that leads to not only a further perpetuation of their power, but then they are able to use that power for profit, and then that profit goes towards building the largest military-industrial complex that history has ever seen. That is capitalism. That is ruling class, bourgeois society. Plain and simple, this is something that we cannot allow to continue. And so... We have to understand that the reality in front of us is we have to build something to combat that. Because the issue of the ideology and the struggle that we in the West are suffering under having to combat a lot of this backwards ideology um, stems from the fact that the power structure is wholeheartedly still in the ruling class's hands. Um, Ideas do not change the material reality material reality changes ideas right and vice versa but more importantly you cannot just try to implant ideas in a material reality where they don't make sense i mean try to go into a church and tell them that they actually have to like you know do things not simply to convert people to christianity but to actually materially help them if they want to live true to the words that are in this Bible that they supposedly all read and believe in. Um, And... Sorry for that. Basically, you know, kind of my final summing up of these points and it wasn't actually as sporadic as I thought it was going to be but you know if we if we actually expect these things to change if we actually expect the problems that the working and oppressed people of the world are suffering to end And I don't mean just inward. I don't mean just because we say we're fighting crime or we say we're fighting drug addiction or we say we're fighting poverty. Unless we are actively, actively and practically fighting these issues, it doesn't matter what we have to say 
It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter what we believe in. It matters what we can do. It matters what actions we take. And it matters how we can change and use objective reality in order to create a society which no longer simply benefits the few, but benefits the many. And again, a part of that material reality is understanding that the way which every single society in history since the beginning of the end of what we might call early communalist societies, ever since the onset of class society hundreds of, well, I I will say thousands of years ago, ever since the development of such a society, there has been a ruling class power which has stayed in power through its use of a state, through its use of a tool of oppression of one class over the other. So, whether we like it or not, whether we are a fan of, quote, violence or not, whether we think that this is a good idea or not, we have to understand that speaking scientifically and historically, the only way which we can first and foremost change the material reality that we live in, but then be able to defend and develop that into a society which perpetuates and defends itself can only be achieved through a violent, because when you try to have a peaceful revolution, when you try to make peaceful changes, you are shot dead while giving a speech, you are shot dead while sleeping in your bed next to your pregnant girlfriend, which, I mean, Fred Hampton, that's who I'm talking about, he wasn't looking for, you know, peaceful uh, means, but at the same time, you know, you go out talking about changing things, you go out about, you know, talking about taking over society, taking over uh, the government, you're, fuck, you're gonna get killed, more often than not, if you don't get killed, you get exiled, like Asada Shakur, like, uh, um, Eldridge Cleaver, like plenty of others. If you don't get killed or exiled, you get imprisoned for the rest of your life, like Mumia Al-Jabbar, or, uh, excuse me, because I actually think I just messed up his name. I'm gonna look that up really quick right now. Um, Mumia Abu-Jamal, my apologies, I knew I messed up his name. Um, like folks like Kevin Rashid uh, Johnson, um, who right now, as far as I know, nobody knows where he is. He's been trying to organize from within prisons. He's been trying to educate and radicalize prisoners. 
and he's been uh, suffering uh, from consistent movement from prison to prison. He has been put in solitary confinement. He has been physically abused. All because he comes out and says, hey, this system is trying to kill us. And it's trying to kill us by working us to fucking death. And it's working us to death because by working us to death, it's able to exploit all the labor and therefore all of the fruits of our labor that it can from us until it no longer has to pay us a wage, a salary, social security, pension, health care, etc. That is the capitalist form of production, and that is the mainstay, the economic base of bourgeois society. So, in concluding, I want to say that we have to deal with objective reality. We have to deal with concrete analysis of concrete conditions. I wrote a blog this morning titled, Why Many Folks Hate Marxism. And I probably, honestly, could have changed the name. Because I didn't really end up covering all too much about why folks do shit on Marxism. Um, That's mostly what this conversation has been about. Because, you know, obviously their ideology is structured by someone other than themselves who has direct benefits that will come to them by eliminating any revolutionary, especially Marxist politics, from the minds of as many people as possible. Um, So I wrote that blog and I kind of explained as to why... um, it's important that we have critical analysis of concrete conditions, which allow us to be able to come to correct ideas about what to do. Because again, you know, we got to understand that this shit isn't just a fairy tale. This shit isn't just a book that we read and we like the ideas of. This shit is real life. The global South right now is dying, is being... Uh, destroyed by earthquakes, by hurricanes, by um, floods, by all kinds of natural disasters, which are becoming more intensified, are lasting for longer, are destroying more and more of, you know, the very, very little that these individuals in these uh, oppressed global South countries uh, destroying what little uh, uh, kind of advancements that they're able to make. And then also, of course, capitalism and imperialism have led directly to the uh, militarization of the world, <clears throat> which has led to also, in a lot of cases, the destruction of the world. I would implore anyone who has any good words to say for the United States military or the government to look at pictures of Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, Jordan, 
um, all the Vietnam, Korea, all these countries which the United States has dedicated 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years to bombing to absolute shit. Look at the pictures on at what these societies looked like prior to their imperialist destruction. Because we're all told, and here's another lovely thing about ruling class ideology, we're all told that the rest of the world is backwards as fuck. That they're all stupid, that they're all ignorant, they don't have technology, they don't have proper farming practices, they are so consumed with religious fanaticism and things like that. I heard a discussion about Afghanistan and about the Taliban where someone made a pretty great point where they said, if you are so, you know, upset by or if you are so focused on the backwardness of the ideology of people within what we might call the Middle East, but what is more properly called North Africa and West Asia, we have to recognize that that is not by their choosing. It is not by their innate um, uh, second class or... um, Oh, geez. It's not because they are lesser than. It's not because they are less intelligent or less human than, for example, those of us in the West. But it is because the countries in the West are only intelligent, only have the technological capabilities, are only wealthy and so large militarily because of their exploitation and destruction of the oppressed peoples of the world. I mean, you can talk about just the very destruction from bombing and war and stuff like that. You can talk about kind of the, uh, for example, since a lot of countries like um, India, for example, have only had their independence for less than a century. um, Not only can you control the very livelihoods, the very culture and the very education of these groups of people, but you also physically steal them from their countries. I mean, how many people do, you know, you know, or have you heard say that they had to leave their home, their whole fucking country to come to the United States to either seek out education, to either seek out job opportunities, or even in some cases to seek out medical care, they are then stuck here. Whether it's because they can't afford to go back, whether it's because they end up, you know, you know, some folks enjoy the American culture versus the uh, uh, other cultures of poor and oppressed nations because of the massive amounts of entertainment and consumerism that are evident in the uh, Western societies. It's something to fall in love with when it's not your, um, 
when it's not your reality. It's it's that's why it is the way it is because capitalism has to be um something that seems interesting. It has to be something that people want to participate in. So they got all these shiny goods and all these cool uh technological doodads, you know, just to use that funny word. Um all these different uh commodities and consumer goods that we can buy, right? They're there to manipulate us. So whether it's because they get trapped here economically, whether it's because they get trapped here because they fall in love with the culture, they make friends, they find a significant other, etc. Or whether it's because those colleges, in some cases, require that then those people stay in the United States. Um, a lot of intellectual property laws require that, for example, certain majors can't go back to their country and give them that information. That's the United States informational property. And you are now United States property. Um, we see a lot of that in government contracting jobs, in uh, banking firms, in technological uh, universities, etc. Um, it's not necessarily a widely practiced thing, but it does exist and it is a problem. And then again, you know, job opportunities. Um, some people flee for safety, like all the Haitians who were literally whipped like... Um, you know, like slaves were in the United States from white patrol officers on horses. It was like a a deep dive into American history. And it's really never left. You know, American history is still happening right now, and it's not really changed much. might have changed its face, but it sure as hell hasn't changed its essence. You know, change its form. You might have a new president, new House of Representatives, etc., etc., But at the end of the day, these white motherfuckers, these ruling class capitalists, they're all in charge and they're all doing the same shit that the people in the 17, 18, and 1900s were doing, just in different forms. Um, So yeah, I mean, you gotta understand here that the violent revolution is necessary I, I totally went off on a rant here, but you gotta understand that the violent revolution is necessary because they'll fucking kill you. They'll imprison you or they'll exile you. And that violent revolution can only then be defended if you build a force powerful of defending itself. If you, you know, have a revolution and then you go, all right, guys, uh, you know, work's over. We're not gonna do that shit anymore. Uh, everybody's equal now. Um, we're not going to have prisons, we're not going to do, uh, politics anymore, um, we're not going to do any hierarchies, we're not going to look for anyone to have power over anyone, we're not going to build a military, we're not going to arm anyone, because, you know, that would be dangerous, and that would be just like our oppressors to do that, right? Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's this thing called reinforcements and uh, counterattack, um, where a group which was previously defeated in one battle will come back with double the amount of forces for a second battle, believe it or not. And many, many battles to come, especially when you're talking about the United States military complex. Um, 
It's a very, very large beast to take down, and the only way that it can be successfully taken down is by uniting and combining the struggles not only of those of us within the belly of the beast, but also through internationalist connections and solidarity work, uh, which is able to provide for the struggling and uh, suffering people of the world. Um, One way that you can directly uh, help with that, if you theoretically, you know, were asking a question based totally on theoretical analysis and definitely not on direct action, um, Comrade Joma, a.k.a. uh, Jose uh, Saison, uh, the founder of the Communist Party of the Philippines, um, he mentioned on an episode that he did with Guerrilla History that if there were to be individuals with technological or weaponry expertise who happen to want to hypothetically and allegedly assist the new people's army of the Philippines with their expertise or direct technological and weapon production or distribution to them, hypothetically, that could be a thing that theoretically could happen, allegedly. It could happen. Um, you know, that's just one form of internationalism. Uh, Check out the Red Condor Collective. That's another form of internationalism. Um, Look at the Friends of the ATC who do delegations to Nicaragua. That's another form of internationalism. Um, But all of that united in a force which is capable of first overthrowing the ruling class and then defending itself as a new ruling class which suppresses the very, very few elite and military and financial forces which try to bring the power back into their hands. It's similar to like those who overthrew the kings and queens and then had to defend themselves against their small armies and supporters who still fought for them. Um, It's not like we're going to be the new oppressors in the same way that our oppressors are killing billions. We're just going to kill our oppressors. And I think Franz Fanon makes a clear argument for why that is directly necessary. And the only way that we, as oppressed people, can reclaim our humanity. Um, But yeah, so that was my ranting episode of sorts. I hope it was educational and understandable and worth the listen. If you're still listening, I appreciate you very much, and I hope that you will continue to engage with my content. I hope you will reach out for whatever reason, whether you want to ask questions or call me a stupid commie who needs to kill themselves. Um, You can find me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Indefensive Liberation, and you can email me there. You can also reach out to me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. And you can also find my website and blog at for liberation, no caps, no spaces, dot wix site, W-I-X-S-I-T-E dot com forward slash website. Thank you so much for listening, folks. Again, please reach out. Please connect. Please let me know how I can improve the show, who I should have on, what I should talk about, what books I need to read, what YouTubers I should check out, 
what podcasts I should listen to, etc., etc. Thank you so much again for listening, folks. I hope you have a lovely day. I hope you stay safe. I hope you and your loved ones remain safe. I hope you will go out and build community, start talking to people, start organizing, and I hope that soon we will be able to unite our struggles for a proletarian revolution. Stay revolutionary, folks, and we'll see you next time. Bye.